Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing the role of statistics in science advice and in particular the work of the Office for National Statistics, which has been crucial in providing advice and data during the COVID pandemic. With me to discuss that is Sir Ian Diamond, National Statistician and Chief Executive of the UK Statistics Authority, which oversees the work of the Office for National Statistics. Sir Ian Diamond, welcome to the podcast. Gavin, lovely to see you. So before we dive into some of the detail, maybe you can set out some of the background about the Office for National Statistics, what it is, what it does, how many people work there, that kind of thing. Well, the office is an evolution of initially the Central Statistics Office and the Office for Population Census and Surveys uh, with an amalgamation about 25 years ago and exists to provide data and evidence for government and indeed for the public to inform people on the economy, on society and to improve lives. Uh, and we see ourselves very, very much as uh, an organisation which informs the public, but at the same time provides independent, trustworthy advice for government. And the last few years we have um, been doing that, I think, in a way perhaps unrivaled before. Um, we've got about 5,000 people who work uh, at the Office for National Statistics. Many of them are our field force who undertake a number of very, very large surveys. For example, the Labour Force Survey, which is the, the regular measure of, of unemployment, but also the International Passenger Survey, which uh, until recently has been the way in which we measure movement to and from uh, our country. So, so we have um, about 5,000 people. We have offices in Newport, Wales, in Titchfield, just outside Southampton, in London, and now in Darlington. And we also work quite closely with our regulator, our regulator, the Office for Statistics Regulation. I should say when we work uh, quite closely in a truly independent way. So that's the ONS as an organisation, and it's been providing a lot of really key data during the COVID pandemic. And in particular, estimates that we see on the news of how many people actually have the disease at any one time. How does the ONS actually calculate these data? Well, that, that particular survey, the Coronavirus Infection Survey, came about in April 2020 when I had a conversation with a man called Michael Webb in the Treasury. It was basically at a moment in time when, frankly, Gavin, we didn't know the answer to the question uh, of how many people in the country did have the virus. It was at a time uh, when Test and Trace provided some information, but of course you had to go and get a test. And so the proposal that I had was that we would have a representative sample of the population and we would test that representative sample for positivity of the virus. And uh, Michael Webb and I had a very good conversation about it and then uh, involved some other people, including, for example, Jeremy Farrer from the Wellcome Trust, um, John Bell from University of Oxford, and then critically, Professor Sarah Walker from the University of Oxford. And um, that led to us putting a design together and the design was really quite important because the idea was to have a household-based representative sample because that would enable us to understand intra-household transmission as well as 
other transmission, and also to have a longitudinal element. So we would go back to households over time so that we'd be able to look, for example, at reinfection. And so we, we selected a sample of, of households from whom we took swabs from everybody over the age of two in that household. And we also took from a subsample blood from everybody over the age of 12. Uh, then those, those swabs go rushing off to a laboratory in Glasgow for testing. The blood goes to a laboratory in Oxford for testing. We also collect the answers to some questions about what people have been doing. An enormous amount of work then goes on, led by our team together with Sarah Walker to do the analysis. And I think you know, people sometimes think, Gavin, that official statisticians sit with a blank sheet of paper and a few five-bar gates adding things up. Actually, there's an enormous amount of very complex multivariate statistical analysis, which enables us to make those estimates. And the other point I just make, Gavin, is people also think that civil servants in official statistics are sometimes, you know, take their time over things. That conversation that I had, the initial conversation that I had, from which we put a design together, from which we then put a fieldwork team together, got ethical approval and went into the field was one week. One week. And we had answers then one week later or two weeks later, probably. And I think it's really important to say that, that a number of things have come out of that survey that we simply didn't know. At the moment in time that we designed it, we didn't know the extent to which asymptomatic tests would come. People just didn't have any symptoms, but they were clearly carrying the virus and therefore passing it over. And we found out large amounts uh, over, the, over the months, not only about the positivity, but also about things like long COVID, as well as about immunity, and then being able to link those data in with vaccine data to understand the impact of the brilliant vaccine rollout that we have been able to do. Fantastic. And, and I wanted to ask you about how the ONS data was integrated with other data, because as you just set out, back in April 2020, there was very little other data. But since then, we've had a much greater amount of testing and therefore much greater amount of data coming through from the NHS. We've had the vaccines themselves. We've had all the epidemiological studies. So how does the ONS take its data and work with the data from other people in order to sort of feed back into how you then design and take things forward? Well, the first thing to say is that we make our data available entirely confidentially but for secondary analysis uh, and under through our trusted research environment, which ensures the privacy, ensures confidentiality, but enables secondary analysis, which I think is so important to take place and enables us others to be able to reproduce uh, our results, something that's important. Secondly, we have linked the data with other data in order to be able to improve the subjects that we can look at. So we're able to look, for example, as I said, we link in vaccine data, we can link in census data. Uh, and that's really important to enable things, for example, around disadvantage and the impact there or, or the impact of the vaccine rollout. And so that, that linkage is, I think, incredibly important. Secondly, 
we spend a lot of time triangulating our results with those from other sources. So there are very good reasons why the test and trace data, which are absolutely important and absolutely critical and come, as you know, on a daily basis, there are very good reasons why they might be different to the ONS data. At the end of the day, people have got to go and test in the first place and asymptomatic people may not. And there are kind of all kinds of behavioral reasons why people might not be as adept as they would like in, in doing tests. So we spend a lot of time triangulating against other sources. And one of the most important things I would say, Gavin, is that we have always found that our data triangulate pretty well. And that's given us a lot of strength in our data. The other point is that over time, the government asked us to increase the size of our sample. And we've done that. So we now swab about 150,000 people every fortnight. We are able to make estimates in England for regions, for age, uh, and we also make estimates at a national level for Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And so it really is uh, a data set which is working incredibly hard to give the government the information they want. And I just would like to point out, you know, again, as the Omicron variant became predominant in December 2021, it was pretty clear that this was a very highly transmissible variant that was doubling at around uh, every two days. And talking to my colleagues, we said, look, you know, we can't just leave this over Christmas and everybody go away and we'll come back in a week. You know, we were doing, we were already planned to do swabs up until five o'clock on the 24th of December and to start again just after Christmas. But colleagues just said, no, no, no. With the speed of growth, we will work effectively through Christmas so that we can put we put out a set of results at lunchtime on the 24th december and we put out another set of results on the 28th so that we were able to chronicle the pace at which that particular variant was growing there are many other sources of regular ons data that have fed into decision making on covid i mean you've mentioned yourself other data sources that you've triangulated with, but uh, you have data sources on the the impact of lockdowns, perhaps, and on employment and and so on. What what are the main ONS data sources that have outside of this one that have helped the government yeah. make decisions? I, I, I'll just run through a few, if I may, quickly. Um, the first point was you're absolutely right. We were concerned that we needed to know about how the virus was impacting on the population as, as a whole, uh, how people were finding the restrictions that were being imposed and how people were feeling uh, about, if you like, their lives. And so the, the best way to do that was to have a survey. Uh, and we put together an online survey uh, and again, developed that pace. Uh, and what we do is we have a representative sample of the population. We go out to them on a Wednesday, we get responses by the following Monday morning and we publish at Monday lunchtime. So real turnaround at pace. And we now have you know, over 70 different versions of that questionnaire. Some of the questions have remained constant the whole time. Others have come in and out at different times as they become important and clearly. And at the beginning, we were not asking questions about face covering. Then as face covering became more important, that came in. So that's one survey. Second survey, which now works on a fortnightly basis, but for quite a long time worked on a weekly basis, was what we call the Business Impact and Conditions Survey, BICS, 
which goes to a, a large sample of businesses and they've been very good at responding. And that's been able to give us real information on business sentiment, on the impact of furlough, on uh, how much uh, reserves people have, you know, the resilience of business. And, and, and being able to do that has been, I think, Gavin, incredibly influential for the Treasury and for parts of government like uh, the Department of Business, uh, Enterprise and Industrial uh, Strategy. But those are, if you like, standard surveys. We've also done quite a lot to produce very fast indicators of different things. So we have access to 95% of credit card and debit card transactions. And so we were able to see how the consumer is spending. Uh, again, all done very ethically and privacy and just around groups, not individual data, but uh, how the consumer is spending and what the consumer is spending on, whether it's staples, social uh, uh, and issues around that. We've used web scraping of Google Place data to understand movement. We also use traffic cameras to, uh, again, understand uh, road traffic and movement. And we've done a lot of web scraping to enable us to be able to continue to produce inflation statistics at a time when the shops were closed or when for health reasons we could not send interviewers into supermarkets for example. So an enormous amount of work producing an enormous amount of data and I think one of the things that could be a worry Gavin is that you end up producing large amounts of data and you have a data deluge and uh, you kind of miss out on the insight. And so one of the things we've been absolutely passionate about doing is really speaking carefully to our colleagues in government about what are the real questions that they require answers to. What are the real questions that they require answers to? Uh, and we have embedded people inside the COVID task force, for example, to, to really understand the questions. And then we're able to get those questions and we are able to produce answers which provide insight to those questions. And I think that's important because it could be quite easy to get into a situation when flows and flows and flows and flows of data are coming, but you then start asking yourself, well, what does it all mean? So getting that real traction into what are the questions that are really important to get answers to has been incredibly important. Now, sometimes, Gavin, people say to me, Ian, if you do that, aren't you impacting on your independence? One of the critical things about the Office of National Statistics is that we are independent of government. Uh, and my answer to that, Gavin, is quite unequivocal. Independence does not mean irrelevant. And what we do is absolutely ensure that we are answering the questions that not just the government, but the public need answers to. Once we know what the question is, then we can provide a rigorous and quality methodology to provide an answer to that question. And when we produce the answer, that's the answer. And that, I would submit, makes us relevant and useful to the public, but does not in any way compromise our independence. And given everything that you've just said, this has been a, a monumental effort by so many people, including the ONS, but it will have transformed uh, the Office for National Statistics a little bit in the way that it works and the way that it interacts. What 
out of that do you see staying with ONS as, as we all hope, that, that the pandemic recedes? I mean, I think we all do hope that the pandemic recedes, although, of course, our most recent data suggests that the public feel it's not going to go away for at least another year. I think it's just important to, to always feel what, what, what do the public think about these things? But in future, I am very clear and my colleagues are absolutely passionate that we will not be going back to the, if you like, where we were before. What will we be using? We will always be searching for radical new data sources. So absolutely, you know, I've talked to you about you're using credit card and debit card data to see how the consumer is driving the economy. And we need to be thinking more about those kind of sources, because one thing's certain, you know, we need to be producing timely data and we need to be absolutely clear about what the positives of those data are. But it's also important to say that sometimes you get really, really, really timely data, but they may not answer every question that you need. And so, for example, we, are, we have access from HMRC to all the data on people who pay PAYE tax. That's an incredibly fast data set and incredibly useful. But of course, it only gives us employees. It doesn't include the self-employed. And so my point being that when we use these fast data sets, we need to be absolutely crystal clear about what they give and what they do not give. And uh, over the past couple of years, we've written a number of pieces which really provide that transparency. So the first thing we're going to do is absolutely bring things at pace. The second thing we really have to do is really to double up on our work around inclusivity. Every citizen should have a voice in our data and we need to work as absolutely hard as we can to ensure that we have really inclusive data sets and that when we are undertaking big surveys, we are really getting representative samples. And I think it's worth saying that we are faced with a number of challenges in a post-COVID survey world. Will people want people to go into their household? You know, to sit down over a cup of tea and uh, do a survey for 45 minutes? Perhaps not. When I first did surveys, you could use the telephone directory to um, select a sample. Many, many people now do not have a home phone. And the people without home phones are not representative of the population as a whole. So you need to be able to make sure you've got inclusivity. So first point, pace. Second point, inclusivity. And third point, ensuring transparency and openness and availability and access to our data uh, for the whole of the population is, is going to be absolutely critical. And I also see us really engaging with some of the big challenges that our, our nation faces, because some of those big challenges, I'm thinking, for example, Gavin, about climate change or about addressing obesity or about levelling up, cut across more than one area. So they're multifaceted challenges which require a system-based approach and data from many sources. And I see us really working hard to bring those data sets together uh, through something that we call the integrated data service 
and to be able to build and estimate those systems, which I think give enormous uh, evidence for government to make policy in some of the really big pan-government uh, agendas. Well, that's a huge challenge. And certainly you can see the real importance of statistics and all the things that you've mentioned. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. But I wish you all the best in continuing the work with COVID and then moving on to some of these other challenges as well. Professor Ian Diamond, thank you very much. Gavin, it's been an enormous pleasure to speak to you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Sir Ian Diamond, National Statistician and Chief Executive of the UK Statistics Authority. You can find all details of the work of the Foundation for Science and Technology on our website at www.foundation.org.uk, including events, blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, we're looking ahead at what the next 12 months will bring in terms of science and engineering in the UK. And my guest will be Dr. Sarah Main, Director of the Campaign for Science and Engineering. Until then, goodbye.